Hi, I'm Steve Thomas. This is Cacophony. Let's dive into some great music and Clara Schumann's world of sound and self-forgetfulness. With female composers in earlier times often restricted to writing smaller scale or chamber music, the back catalogues of composers who are women contain lots for solo piano, lots of songs, duets for keyboard and one other instrument, and occasionally the acme of domestic music for friends, the piano trio, for piano, violin and cello. Other types of trio are available. We're going to listen to the piano trio by Clara Schumann. Only three players but one of her biggest pieces, and it's fab. Clara Schumann as composer is probably one of the great what-ifs of classical music history. Most of the others concern what great composer X, Y or Z might have gone on to write had they not died tragically young. It's always tragically. Here the question is, what might she have written if she'd felt able to write? Clara Schumann was one of the most successful and influential musicians that there has ever been. As a pianist, she had a major performing career that lasted 60 years and was a regular visitor to every musical centre in Europe. She practically invented the format of the piano recital, where an artist would perform works by earlier composers as opposed to just their own, resurrecting the keyboard music of Bach, Scarlatti and others, and keeping people like Mozart and Beethoven from falling from view. As an inspiration to an advocate for the music of her husband Robert Schumann and of Johannes Brahms, she secured their places in history and public consciousness as great composers. It's her tastes and sensibilities that still influence the music that we know and love today. She taught the next generation of great pianists on top. Age 16, Clara Wieg, as she then was, had completed her first piano concerto and performed it with the famous Leipzig Gewandhaus Orchestra. As the writer and Clara Schumann expert Sarah Fritz points out, this was younger than any other major composer's first mature concerto. So what happened to her career as composer? Well, the short answer is Robert Schumann. Her father, who had taught and trained and managed Clara as a child prodigy, took on Robert Schumann as a student, and he came to live with them, and he and Clara fell in love and later got married. The thing was that Robert wanted to be a composer, and Clara all but stopped writing instead creating space for him to do so. I don't know if this was done under duress, or if it was just what was expected, or if it was just what she thought was expected. And I'm wary of lapsing into speculation. But in any case, she threw herself wholeheartedly into supporting him and his career. This involved all one would expect of a loving wife and mother of a prodigious amount of children. And in addition, she continued to perform and tour, She was the main breadwinner. Musically, she inspired and no doubt worked with Robert on some of his pieces. And, as the famous member of the family, she was able to promote him and perform his pieces in her concerts. They made 
in many respects, a pretty good team. And I don't think Robert was unsympathetic to Clara's creative plight, saying, to have children and a husband who is always living in the realm of imagination does not go together with composing. She cannot work at it regularly, and I'm often disturbed to think how many profound ideas are lost because she cannot work them out. But his sympathy seems to have stopped short of actively trying to get her to write more. Clara then didn't write much. A number of piano works and songs, and the biggest thing she wrote during her marriage, the nearly 30-minute four-movement piano trio. Things dried up entirely a couple of years after she'd written that in 1846, and then in 1853 she composed again briefly after having met Brahms. Much as Robert had done at her father's house, the 20-year-old Johannes Brahms had pitched up on their doorstep, carrying a letter of introduction from one of their friends, and the Schumanns were so enamoured of him and his musicality that he moved in. If you've ever seen a picture of Brahms, it is, like as not, one of a big, old, gruff, unhappy man with an enormous beard. Turn all that on its head, and you get Brahms at 20. He was a bit of a looker. Brahms was the other major man in Clara's life. The following year, Robert's mental health issues got the better of him. He attempted suicide and was committed to an asylum where he died a couple of years later. Clara was not permitted to visit all that time until right at the very end. But Brahms was and did regularly and he continued to stay at the Schumann house to support the family. He and Clara became very close very close indeed, to the extent that pretty much as soon as Robert Schumann died, Brahms left and moved to another city. The only music Clara would write from then on were piano versions of Robert's pieces. Though Brahms wasn't physically with Clara, they wrote all the time and saw each other often for the next 30 years. And every major piece Brahms wrote, he sent to her, for advice and approval. So if we come back to the question, what would Clara's music have sounded like had she written more? Perhaps the answer is, like Brahms. So we're going to listen to Clara Schumann's piano trio, the biggest piece, perhaps a masterpiece. It's maybe one of the first great trios, where the instruments are treated on a more or less equal footing. I've mentioned that this was a kind of domestic music, but that's not to say it's more simple as a result. Quite the reverse. This was music for Clara to play with her great musician friends and colleagues, and it comes with an appropriate level of sophistication. In fact, composers were able to be more challenging in these semi-private works without having to think about audience reaction. Schumann did play this piece in concert a number of times, including on tour in London and Vienna but there's at least one known occasion when a violin-playing friend notes that she took it out for them to play when he visited her house, and then they played Robert's trio, which he'd written a few years later, perhaps inspired by hers. The first movement is the longest, and this is music that's like a really good conversation. You get moments where a voice, an instrument, makes a statement. It might be supported in murmuring agreement by one of the others, firmly agreed by everyone, or rebutted, gently or forcefully, or ignored. Sometimes everyone's talking at once, and it's curious and interesting and fascinating and entertaining, 
like if we're over at People's for a meal and you're eavesdropping on a really good chat. There's a thrilling coda, where the music accelerates to a final flourish. Exactly the kind of thing that I associate with her husband, but which, maybe, was a trait that he picked up from her. The second and third movements are brilliant, and way too short. The second is light and kind of witty. The little opening gesture, so nonchalant, so confident, unconcerned. It's a tiny fragment that forms the basis of what follows but it's one of those tiny fragments that sound like you've known them forever. It's a proper earworm, and there's delight in it. It seems to me to say, I really know what I'm doing. Next comes a largely gentle slow movement. I really have to listen to this one closely, or I find it's already slipped away, and I'm left with this nice warm feeling, but no idea of what's just happened. There's a lovely cello tune near the end, where the violin gives a plucked accompaniment, like a guitar backing a serenading lover. The last movement is another more extended conversation the tune very similar to that from the first movement. There are bits where the music sounds quite austere, a bit old-fashioned, baroque-styled, a bit fugal, each instrument entering in turn with the same music. A nod, perhaps, to that fact that as a pianist, Schumann was responsible for bringing earlier composers back from obscurity. At the end, she flirts with an acceleration and breathtaking finish, before opting for something more stately and definitive. It's very satisfying. Oh, I need to talk about why this episode's called On the Money. It's a sign of how highly esteemed Clara Schumann is, that she was the face of the 100 Deutschmark note from the time of German reunification right until the adoption of the euro. When Clara Schumann died, aged 77 in 1896, the Guardian newspaper in the UK devoted an editorial to her, not just an obituary. They wrote that her strong personality impressed upon everything that she played, and that her listeners always felt that she had drunk deeply at the finest sources of musical inspiration. The Guardian noted that whilst there were flashier and fancier pianists about, there was a breadth and a certain honesty that she brought to everything. I like that. Deep inspiration and honesty. And I think we hear it in her music too. That honesty gives her music that all-important just isness feeling that comes with great music. Clara Schumann herself said, Composing gives me great pleasure. There's nothing that surpasses the joy of creation if only because through it one wins hours of self-forgetfulness 
when one lives in a world of sound. So let's dive into her world of sound and forget ourselves for 30 minutes or so. Click on the links in the show notes to have a listen, and then when you're back in this world, tell me what you think. You can leave a comment at cacophonyonline.com, a short and snappy voice message, or turn to social media. Is there someone you know who you think would really love this music or enjoy the Cacophony podcast? Who are they? Get in touch with them and let them know we exist. If you'd like to support Cacophony financially, you can. There's a link to coffee.com where you can send some money over or leave a regular contribution. I'm very grateful for anything we receive. Please come back for more next time. And thanks for listening. <laughs>